to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. chapter 7, Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Now this church in Corinth, uh, as you read through First and Second Corinthians, you're going to find out that there's a lot of problems in the church. There's a lot of problems that they deal with and a lot of problems that they're dealing with. They are There are issues where you go, really? You really struggle with that? I mean, really? You have to struggle with that kind of stuff? I mean, this is stuff that you really are, are dealing with in the church. Come on. You guys should know better. The church should know better. You know, and, and isn't God angry at that? Isn't God, doesn't God hate that? Well, yeah, God doesn't like dissension and, and sin in the church. He doesn't like that. But one thing God did tell Paul is he says, I have many people in Corinth. He has a church in Corinth. He has a love for the people there in Corinth. Just like God has a love for the people in the United States of America. Not just through the world, not just in the United States of America, not just in Florida or Sarasota, but in your own communities and in your own sphere of influences. Those that you go, wow, hey man, God must hate them. No, no, no. God died. He sent his son to, to die on a cross for them. That's how much he loves them. He loves mankind. And so here's the thing. Though we have many, many problems that we see in 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing these things. Now, before we read these nine verses, you're going to read here in the the very first verse, as I've already started to read it. I've kind of given you a little clue. Paul is answering a letter that they wrote to him. They were asking clarification. They were asking for some clarification on some of the things that they had some questions on as it pertains to marriage, as it pertains to relationships, as it pertains to, you know, a man with a woman and relations between a man and a woman, all of those things. They had some questions that they wanted Paul to clarify. And so as you look in 1 Corinthians, this is not an exhaustive list of what a marriage is supposed to look like. It has great points, but it is not the exhaustive list of what a marriage is supposed to be. But again, it has some awesome points that Paul is going to address. But we're going to look in the first nine verses. We're not going to get all through nine verses today. We're only going to get through a couple verses. But for context, uh, we're going to look at these first nine verses. Paul writing, he says, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, this is where he's referring to them, writing him a letter for clarification. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Okay? Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and then come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. He's saying, hey, I'm not saying God's telling you you have to abstain from one another for a season. I'm saying, but if you do, only do it for a little while. God's not saying you have to. He's just saying, if you do, Make sure it's only for a short season so that you can get back into your marital relationship. He says, I'm not saying it is a commandment that you have to do it. But if you do do it, make sure that you come back together. For I wish, he says, that all men were even as I myself. And so Paul is saying, I'm single right now. Um, Paul was, most believe that Paul was married. Paul says that he was one of the Sanhedrin. At one time, you couldn't be a a member of the Sanhedrin, which is the 70 rulers, the religious rulers in in Israel. Um, He said he was a member of that 70 group. And in order to be on that, that panel or on that council, the Sanhedrin council, a man had to be married. 
And so Paul was married. We don't know why he's single right now. We don't, scripture is silent on that, so we'll remain silent on that. We don't know if his wife died, if his wife left him after he became a Christian. We don't know any of those things. So what we do know is that he is single now, but he was not always single. For I wish that all men, he says, were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried, And to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am, single. But if they cannot exercise self-control, then let them marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Father, here we have before us this open passage. And Lord, I know we're beginning to embark on some pretty interesting words, some interesting instruction over the next course of a couple of weeks. Help us to have a plain sense of what your word says. Help us not to add to or take away anything from. But Lord, help us to just expound on what your word says. This is what your word says. This is what what it says plainly. This is how we're going to live by it plainly and and help us to walk out of this place uh, knowing that your word is is simple enough to to find, to understand, to, to see, to read, and to apply to our life. Now, Applying it to our life is where it becomes a little bit more difficult. And so, Lord, there's not one person in this room that can actually live this life apart from your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I pray that as we hear these words, as we receive this instruction, that we would leave this place knowing that we can only accomplish this if we have surrendered ourselves to you and allowed your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. Apart from that, Trying to live the Christian life is futile. And so, Lord, help us. Speak to us. Teach us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Last time we were together, we were talking about how um, Paul was uh, talking about, hey, don't get into a, a relationship, a sexual relationship with somebody who's not your wife or someone who's not your husband. Because every time you get into a relationship like that, the two shall become one. He, he references that. The two will become one. And if the two become one in a relationship, that is only intended for a husband and a wife for that. God had intended that to be only between a husband and a wife. Now, I know I had you turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at that here in just a second. But I'm going to look, just because I only have a couple of minutes here today, I want to look at a few things here. I want to look at what is the purpose of marriage? What is the purpose of marriage? Paul says concerning those things, you know, that you wrote to me, is it, good? It's, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Saying don't touch a woman and the implication is don't, don't touch a woman sexually who is not your wife. Do not go after that. Don't seek to go down that road. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Uh, A man with a woman, a woman with a man, a husband with a wife, a wife with a husband. And one. That's it. That's it. Paul's calling the church to to just be simple. Um, Yesterday we had a men's breakfast in here. And, uh, you know, we've been announcing it for the last few weeks. And so we had a men's breakfast in here. I had a great time with the guys. But I was referencing a, a little video clip. Some of you guys may have seen this video clip that's running around on the Internet right now. It's a guy from, from a guy by the name of Francis Chan. He was speaking at a youth conference, youth leaders conference. And, and he was ministering to these youth and these youth leaders there in the conference and and he he talks about how to look at the word of god and apply the word of god he said oftentimes we get confused we get caught up in knowing the word of god but not doing the word of god knowing the word of god and not doing the word of god and he illustrated it like this i think his daughter's name was rachel he says If I were to tell my daughter, Rachel, Rachel, go and clean your room. If my daughter came back to me an hour or two after that and came to me and says, Daddy, I've memorized it. You said to me, go and clean your room. I've memorized it. He goes, how is that going to make me feel? Well, I'm glad that you memorized it. Did you do it? 
Well, I memorized it. I memorized it. In fact, I even called a Bible study. I I called a study to have people come over to my house this week, and we're going to study what go and clean your room, what it means. We're going to look at it through the Greek. We're going to find out what those words mean. We're actually going to discuss what it would actually look like if I actually cleaned my room. The, The point of the matter is, Let's not make the word of God more complicated than what it has to be. The word of God, you know, the word of the father, Francis, to his daughter is go and clean your room. My interest isn't that you understand the etymology, entomology of every single word. Go, where did that word come from? What is the origin of that word? What's the genesis of that word? Clean? Wow, clean can mean a lot of things. Let's look at what clean really, let's dig in and look at clean. Let's look, look at clean. Your, wow. Does that just mean me? Does it mean who? Who does that mean? Wow. We can really get into your room. Well, now, does that mean my, my specific room? Does it mean the house? Does it mean my state? What does it mean? Go and clean. Wow. What is he really trying to get to? And the point is, go and clean your room. We understand that is to do what? Someone help me with this. Go clean your room. Go just go clean your room. Let's not make it more complicated than what it is. We have done that with the Word of God. We've done that with the Word of God, especially in a passage like this. Well, I don't think that he was really talking about a husband and a wife. He's talking maybe because really a relationship could be uh, you know a couple guys together and one can be considered the wife. No, let's not make it more complicated than what it is. Let's just look at the word. Let's just take the word at face value and let's live by it. Let's do that. Because anything more than that is an abortion. Anything more than that is taking the word of God and twisting it to do something that is not common sense. (laughs) God says, do this. Yeah, but let's really think about... He doesn't really mean go clean your room. He means have someone else come and clean my room. He means have... And you come up with so many different variables of what that actually means instead of just looking at the plain sense. And you've heard me say this before, haven't you? When the plain sense makes perfect sense, make no other sense lest you make nonsense, right? When the plain sense of the word makes perfect sense, make no other sense, lest you make nonsense. The point is this. We can take the word of God and twist it to any way we want. The problem is, we have now changed the rules of God's game. The whole idea of marriage is this. Listen. The whole idea of marriage between a husband and a wife is a picture of God with his people. It's God with his people. The word here, he says, it says, nevertheless, he says, now concerning the things, verse 1, which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Now he's talking to a pretty debaucherous city. A city that, that you guys remember. It was a city that was very, you know, you know sexually deviant. It had a, a temple there that had a thousand prostitutes that you donated money in order to worship the Lord to go and sleep with the prostitutes of the, of the, of the temple. It was a horrible thing. They've taken the word. They've taken things and twisted it to their own way of thinking. And, and Paul's saying, yeah, that's not the way you know. That's not the way that it's supposed to be. You've taken God's rules, changed them, tweaked them to make your own rules. The problem is, is the moment you take God's rules and change them, you've created a whole different game. You've heard me talk about this before. If you're playing tennis, if you're playing tennis, or if you're playing volleyball, or if you're playing, you know, football or baseball, whatever sport you're playing, Say you're up at the plate and, and you're sitting there and you're, you're, you're at the plate and you got the pitcher, you know, coming in and, and the pitcher throws three strikes right down the middle and the ump goes, strike, two, two, three, you're out. 
He goes, no, I I don't think so. No, I'm going to stay. I'm going to camp out here because I want four. Come on, give me another one. Give me another one. The whole stadium is going to go, what are you doing? Get out of there. The the, the ump is going to say, hey, pitcher, go ahead and give him one more just so he does it, just so he can get out of here. It's not, the rules aren't going to change because you want the rules to change, you see. You can't make your own rules. In fact, when we see a, 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 you know, an umpire, in fact, I just happened to see something, some of you guys might have seen this just last night or yesterday or something like that. I saw a little blurb on on sports and sorry guys it's a sports you know thing i shouldn't do this on mother's day but it's in my head right now apologize but the boston red Sox are playing the new york yankees right now and david ortiz who has been with the red Sox forever now i'm an idiot on baseball okay but one thing i do know is that there's a strike zone a pitcher throws a ball and it has to go through a strike zone, and an umpire is standing behind the catcher. You, you, you know the picture, right? An umpire is standing behind the catcher, and he's looking where the ball goes, and he makes a judgment. He's the judge. It's either a strike, because it, it fell within the confines of that strike zone, or it's a ball, because it went outside of the confines of that little square strike zone that's in there. This little, you know, supposedly, you know, you can't see it. It's not a box, but it's, it's, it's designed to be, you know, a certain size according to the rules. All the players know the rules. All of the umpires know the rules. But David Ortiz is up, for, up to bat, and this umpire gives him some strike calls that are like five inches out of the, of the, of the, the strike zone. And then he does it again to the next guy up. And David Ortiz goes out there and he, he goes ballistic. He, he, he blew a cork and he ran at the official and they had to hold him back at the umpire and he had to hold the umpire back. And I think, I think he might have even gotten tossed out of the game. I know the manager got tossed out of the game for the Boston Red Sox. Now, please do not hear me. Please, please, please do not hear me say that I like Boston, okay? I'm, I'm just, I'm not a, not a big Boston Red Sox fan. But here's the thing. Even the players knew the rules. And when the umpire took a step outside of the rule book, in fact, I think Major League Baseball has come back and says, yeah, those, those balls were like five inches outside of the batter's box. He made bad calls. He made bad calls. The point is, you can't come up with your own rules. The umpire can't say, yeah, I'm going to call that a strike when it's definitely not a strike without repercussions. There are going to be consequences. This umpire is probably going to be yanked out for a season. He might be fined or he might not get, you know, they have like a little point system where, hey, you've made so many bad calls, you're not going to ump in the playoffs. And that's kind of where you want to go. You want to go to the ump, you want to ump the playoffs. And you're not going to go because you make bad calls. And if you become that bad, they're going to kick you out of the league. Why? Because there's a set of rules that you're supposed to live by in Major League Baseball. Is that pretty understood here? It's the same thing spiritually. God has a set of rules. He has the confines of his word. He has the confines of a marriage. He has the confines of what it means to be in a a relationship with someone. And the moment that we say, I don't think that God's uh, uh, strike zone right here is right. I think I want the strike zone to be over here. I think that it's okay for, for this to happen. But wait a minute. When the perfect sense makes, or when the literal sense makes perfect sense, make no other sense unless you make nonsense, you're making nonsense out here. You're, you're trying to change the rules. And the problem is, is that you can't change the rules on God. This is God's playground, man. This is God's world. When you have your own world, when you create your own people, when you create your own system, you can change the rules to be and say whatever it is that you want to have done. But until that happens, you do not have the right nor the authority to take this word of God and make it say anything different than what it says. This is what God says. Here's the thing. Why does God do that? It's for this reason. I've got to hurry with this. 
There is a, he says, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Um, this word, sexual immorality, is a word, in Greek, it's porneia. Porneia. Okay? Porneia is to commit fornication or any sexual sin. Fornication, lewdness, any sexual sin. Any sexual sin. What is a sin? Let's look at sin. What is sin? Sin is missing the mark. Okay? That's literally what it means. Sin. Uh, back in the, in the uh, Olympics, and the Olympics had been going on since the Bible had been written. Paul talks about the Olympics, actually, in the Bible. I don't know if you know that. Here's the thing. Archery was one of the, was one of the uh, competitions. And if you're an archer, and you shoot your arrow, and you shoot it to a target, and you're supposed to hit the bullseye, you might shoot for the bullseye. You're trying to hit the bullseye. You're trying to hit right in the center of the red dot. And when you do not hit right in the center of the red dot, the judge down there at the end who sees the arrow go in, he goes, sin. Sin. What is that? You missed the mark. You've missed the mark. You didn't hit it perfect. You tried, maybe, but you didn't hit the mark. There's another word in the Bible called transgression. Transgression would be like this archer going, yeah. Boom. You know, shooting wherever, you know. Just shooting wherever he wants to shoot. You're supposed to hit the target over there. Yeah, who are you? Yeah, get out of here. You know, that's transgression. That's just willful disobedience. Sin is, I want to hit the mark. I want to hit the bullseye. I want to do the right thing. Boom. Sin. I missed it. I tried, but I missed it. You missed the mark. Here's, here's what Paul says. Paul's saying, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and each woman have her own husband. Here's the thing. The sexual immorality there, he's saying, because porneia, porneia has crept into the church, because, or not into the church, but into the world, because it's crept in here, and because it's even creeping into the church, because it's creeping into mankind. Sexual immorality is missing the mark. It's missing the mark. It's sexual sin. It's, well... My girlfriend and I, you know, we really are trying to to be pure, but ah, we blew it. We blew it. Sin. You missed the mark, man. That's sin. That's sin. That's sexual immorality. But we love each other. You're not married. Sin. Well, I I don't like that. I don't like, I don't care that you don't like it. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be rough or gruff or anything like that, but I can't make the rules. Not for you. I can't make the rules for me. You can't change the rules. I can't change the rules. This is what God says. And, and until we understand that the word of God is what drives the world, which everyone, is, the Bible says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's what the word says. And so you've got guys out there that are very antagonistic against Christianity. You've got people that are out there that are atheists. You've got actors and, and, and stars out there saying, I don't believe in all that junk, you know. I don't believe in what I can't see. I was talking to my father-in-law about that the other day, yesterday, two days ago. And he was saying, talking to a fellow that he gave a book to. You know, the guy says, well, I don't believe anything that I can't see. And my father-in-law says, can you see time? Well, no, I can't see time, but why well, I, I can I can I can measure it by the way that we we see it. Well, you can measure God by what it is that He says, right? So so you do believe in something that you don't see. You you believe in time. I don't. I, I really don't believe that there's a true atheist out there. I don't believe in atheism. I do not believe that there is a person who is atheistic. There is no God. That's what ah means. Ah means without. It's the negative form. Theism or theistic is God. No, ah, no, theism, God. No God. There is no God. I don't believe anybody that calls themselves an atheist. Everybody believes in something. You might be your God, but, you know, 
again, what you've done is you've created your own rule book. You've tossed this out. And this book says one day you're going to bow your knee and you're going to confess with your mouth the rule maker. The problem is, is that he's not going to give you kudo points for the rule book that you made for yourself that you decided to live by. And, and if I don't say this to you, who's going to say it to you? You're not going to get it on TV. You're not going to get it in the movies. You're not going to get it through your stars. You're not going to get it through... If, if you're not going to hear it from me, who are you going to hear this stuff from? If you're not going to open up the Word of God, somebody has got to share with you, look, this is God's rule book. Don't, don't deny it. Look at it yourself. Don't take my word for it. Go home and look it up yourself. Here's the thing. God gave marriage for this, and I've got to hurry with this. He says, listen, sexual immorality, we gave marriage... Any sexual sin, it's for any sexual sin that God said, you know what, marriage, husband, wife, wife, husband. So literally, it's about any sexual sin or adultery or fornication or any other sexual sin. But symbolically, symbolically, and I've got to hurry with this, symbolically, it stands for idolatry. It stands for forsaking the true God in order to worship something else. Whatever that idol might be. It might be God. Or it it might be a foreign God. It might be the God of sex. It might be the God of money. It might be the God of, of fame. It might be the God of power. That that's what your drive is. I'm going to be driven to be wealthy. There's your God. I'm going to be driven to sleep with as many partners as I can. There's your God. Your God is sex. You know? I want everybody to know me because, you know what? American Idol, I want to be one of those guys. Well, <laughs> too late. They don't, it doesn't exist anymore, and I'm thankful. I thought that that was a mockery upon our nation that they named that show American Idol because we idolize stars. That's what we do. Here's the thing. It doesn't make going to a movie a bad thing. It just means, where do we put our eyes? When those things, when those people, when those acts and those talents overtake who God is in our life, God takes a second fiddle to anything, then you have an idol that is far above God. And it's in that that, man, you've got to be careful because one day you're going to be standing face to face with God. And I'm going to be standing face to face with God according to his rule book. And you're not going to go, yeah, well, hey, I changed that rule. What do you think? God's going to go up there in heaven and go, ah, give me that eraser. Doggone it. All right. I, I said not to do it, but you, you trumped me. All right. Well, what was that rule? Okay. You said it was okay to do it. All right. Well, I'm going to scratch that in. All right. Because I'm a God of love. And I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. See, that's who we have this picture of who God is. Is that God is this, you know, Casper Milk Toast, you know, Willy Wimp, you know, that's out there saying, well, I just don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want, I, I want everybody to love me. Like God's some insecure being in heaven going, if they don't love me, I'm just not going to be real. <laughs> I'm going to cry. <laughs> that's not God. God was perfect God before you were around, before I was around. That'll break his heart. If you deny him, if you turn, him, turn your back on him. But it's not going to make God any less powerful, any less loving. God gave you a book. God gave you rules. God gave you a design. And you're either going to abide by it or you're going to die by it. Die by your own rules. And the thing is, is that you'll have, I will have, we will have no one to blame but ourselves because God gave us the word, right? So symbolically, this word sexual immorality, it stands for idolatry, forsaking the true God in order to worship idols. And the idea here is that God, since God is, is said to be married to the church through Christ, then any unfaithfulness to God is idolatry. I want you to be clear on that. If God is married to the church through his son, Jesus Christ, marriage is a picture of our relationship with God through Christ. And I know we're guys, the men that are in here, and you might look at it and go, well, wait a minute. The 
Bible's calling me the bride of Christ. I am not a bride. I'm going to be the groom. No, you got Mr. Jesus you got to look at. He's the groom. You are the bride of Christ if you are a part of the church. If you're not a part of the church, you're on your own, dude. Or do that. You're on your own. And you will be left wanting. And you will be haunted by your rule book that you chose to live by instead of God's word. And here's the thing. He uses immorality or harlotry as a picture of a system. I'm going to look real quick at a at one verse, actually two verses I'm going to look at real quick. Um, Revelation chapter 2, verse 21. I'm going to read it. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it real quick. He's talking to a church. Um, he's talking to the church of, uh, of Thyatira. And he's saying, hey, here's some things that I know that are good that you're doing. And here's some things that I know that are bad that you're doing. He says in verse 21 of chapter 2 of Revelation, he says... I gave her, the church, time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. What was it that she was doing? She was running after the world's thing. I have a few things against you because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and beguile my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. So here's, here's what God is saying. Here's what Jesus is saying to the church in Thyatira. You got teachers that are going into the church and they're saying, it's okay to have many sexual partners because I am a pastor and I say it's okay. It's okay to have sexual relations with, you know, the same sex. Or you, it's okay to have multiple partners. Or it's okay to, to, whatever feels good, just do it. That's satanic, you see. That's satanic. And, and, and Jesus says, because you've allowed guys like that to get into your church and gals like that to get behind the pulpits of churches and give false confidence to the world, to give false confidence to the congregations, there's a judgment coming down on them. You have given them freedom in the teachings that you've given to them to allow sexual immorality or to allow sin to run rampant within the church because you have deemed to create a new rule book. And Jesus says that's going to be judged. It's going to be judged. He says even in verse, in verse 21, what I said, I even gave her time to repent from her sexual immorality and she did not repent. And what Jesus is talking about, she is the church of Thyatira. Now, what's the consequence? Jesus says, well, indeed, verse 22, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds and I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your works. But to you I say and to the rest in Thyatira as many as do not have this doctrine who have not known the depths of Satan as they call them I will put on you no other burden but hold fast to what you have until I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and potter's vessels shall be broken to pieces. As I have also received from my Father, and I will give to him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church in Thyatira. So here he says, here's the thing. If you choose to continue to live your way, you're going to die by your way. And it's going to come down, and it's not going to just hit you, but it's going to hit generations after you, your kids after you. And it's just going to continue on and on and on. And you will be responsible for it. You're going to be responsible for it. He says in, in Revelation chapter 18, this is in the culmination. I mean, we're, we're nearing the end of time. Revelation chapter 18, verse, uh, Revelation 18, verse 1 John is writing, he says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. 
And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great has fallen, is fallen, has become a habitation of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations. So here, here's what he's saying. Babylon. Babylon. Is it an actual place? Is it an actual location? It's, it's yes, Babylon is spoken over 300 times in the Bible. It's really the only city along with Jerusalem that's mentioned from the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. Those are the only two cities that you will find all the way through the word of God, all the way from the very front first book of the Bible all the way to the back book of the Bible, uh, last book of the Bible in Revelation here. Babylon. It's mentioned over 300 times in the word of God. Well, here it's being represented as a false religious system of which I think we have much of it just running rampant in the church today. Babylon the great has fallen. It's fallen has become a habitation of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Same word, pornea. And the kings of the earth have committed sexual fornication with her. Same word, committed pornea with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. My people. God's calling my people. Get away from that. Get away from that. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Um, he, he goes on and he talks about how, how this Babylon is going to be destroyed. Is going to be destroyed. Verse 2 of chapter 19. I heard a loud voice of uh, uh, verse chapter 19 verse 1. After these things I heard a loud voice. A great multitude of heaven saying hallelujah. Um, Salvation and glory and honor and power to the Lord our God. For the true and righteous are his judgments. Because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her pornea. With her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Now here's the thing. Does this not sound like God is going to dish out retribution on those who say, take away from God's rule book, do what it is that I say. I'm changing the rules on you. You can do what it is because I'm in authority. I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor or I'm a, I'm a teacher so listen to what it is that I'm saying. They're no better than I am. Oh, Don, that guy over at Calvary Chapel, he tells you to take the Bible literally. That's not ever what God intended for it to be. It's a culturally understood word. Culture changes what the word of God really means. Can I say that time and time and time again, the Bible says that God is immutable? You know what immutability means? You know what immutable means? It means God, it means unchanging. God, it does not change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and even forever. He's not going to change his mind. He's given us a rule book. The point here, I had you turn to Ephesians 5. Let me finish here. And, and, and it's this, Ephesians chapter 5. You know, how does this have to do with marriage and all this? Why, why are you going down this road? Well, here's the reason. Here's the reason. It's a passage that further speaks on marriage, speaks on the fidelity of marriage. It speaks on, it speaks on the roles of a husband and a wife. It speaks of, in verse 22 of chapter 5, it talks to the wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband, and we're going to look at this verse uh, much more carefully next time we get together um, because it correlates back to... Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he's Savior of the body. Just Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let, their wives, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And now husbands, love your wives. That word love is the word agapeo. There's four different words in Greek for the word love. Um, Agapeo is a word that means unconditional love. There, there's no conditions placed upon the love that a husband is supposed to have on a wife. 
A husband doesn't love his wife because she makes his eggs right. A husband doesn't love his wife because she, you know, irons his socks, you know. A husband doesn't love his wife because she performs for him the way that he wants her to perform. A husband loves his wife unconditionally, unconditionally. And that's what that word says. God is speaking through Paul and he says, husbands love unconditionally your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, that's a high calling to us husbands, isn't it? It's a high calling for us husbands. We're going to look at this a little bit later, a little little bit greater um, in, in the weeks to come. But here's the thing. Our marriages, if you want to know what our marriages are supposed to look at, look at the church of God and Christ and God. The relationship that the church has with God through the marriage of the Son. It's the picture of marriage. That's what Paul is trying to get to you and I, is to say marriage is is to be between one man and one woman. It's supposed to be between two individuals for life until death do you part. There is not going to be additions in here. There's not going to be different rules set. There is one man, one woman, because that's how I have set it as an illustration for you to always understand what my relationship is with the church. I won't divorce the church. I love the church. God would say, God would say, I love the church. I am committed to the church. I will not commit adultery on the church. How do we commit adultery on God? It's by doing anything apart from his will. Anything that this world, we we sleep with the world by entering into the things that are sinful and feel good about it. That's sin. That's transgression. That's sleeping with the world. That's pornea with the world. Now let me ask you this. If you're married or if you're going to be married someday, would you stay with somebody that was constantly cheating on you? Constantly cheating on you? And coming home and bragging about it? Oh yeah, I slept with three, three, three ladies today, honey. Yeah, you're cool with it, right? Hi, sorry. Sorry. Um, I'm sorry that I did that, okay? Um, but I've got a hookup for tomorrow. But I'm saying sorry today, okay? I mean, I said I'm sorry. You're supposed to forgive me. Isn't that what the Bible says? You're supposed to forgive me 70 times 7? Is that what you think forgiveness is? Is that what you think repentance is? Repentance is, hey, God, I'm sorry. I already have plans to do it again later. But, hey, I I just want to be a clean slate now. You don't understand repentance. You don't understand relationship. You've created your own rule book. And the point is this. God says, I'm putting marriage as a picture of what my relationship with you, what my relationship with you is. Can you imagine if you actually had a relationship with Christ? You did what the word of God said. And at the very end of the day, you stand before God because you've died. You stand before God and he goes, I was just joking. My son died, yeah, but... Yeah, he died for your sin, but I, I changed the rules. You don't get to go to heaven. I just don't want to. I changed the rules. What would you say? Would, would, we, would we be saying what the Word of God says? Holy and righteous and true are your judgments, O the Lord? No, we're going to go, you're a fraud. You're a cheater. You're a liar. Who can trust your Word? And yes, that's what we do to the Lord all the time. The point is, God's saying in a marriage... It's a give and take. It's a give and take. It's fidelity one to another. Let let me just finish right here. He says, husband, love unconditionally your wife, just like I love the church and gave myself for it. That the husband, and and, and it's, it's this duplicity here that he's talking about. Husbands to your wives, just like Christ is to the church. You don't even really know who he's talking about right now. Is he talking about the husbands are supposed to do this? Or is he talking about this is what Jesus did for the church? Yes, is the answer. He's talking about husbands. This is what you're supposed to do to the wives because this is what Jesus has done to his his church. That he might sanctify and cleanse it, the wife or the church, with the washing of the water by the word. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So husbands, 
ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and he cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. And so he he goes, okay, here's the marriage. Love your wife. By loving your wife, you're actually loving your flesh. You're actually loving you. You're, You're actually doing the right thing. This is, what it's, this is what it was designed to do. By loving, you don't hate your own flesh. You feed it and you nourish it. And every day you get up and look in a mirror, don't you? You look in a mirror every day. You see what you look like. If you've got radical bedhead, do you go out? You don't. You go, oh, yeah, wow. If after lunch you got the big old honking piece of parsley on your front tooth, don't you like trust a friend to say, hey, you got a big old honking piece of parsley on your front teeth. It looks horrible. Unless you're a guy, and then you just kind of let him go, you know, like with that. You just go, yeah, dude. Now, you don't do that to your wife, though. <laughs> don't ever do that to your wife. Here's the thing. As the husband is, as, as Christ is to the church, so is the husband to the wife. No one ever hated his own flesh. You and I, we look in the mirror and we go, yeah, I look fat in that shirt. And you might go, you look fat in any shirt, dude. Here's the thing. You look in a mirror, and I will tell you one thing, you won't see me wearing a yoga shirt or yoga pants. You know, I, I, you know some people who wear yoga pants that shouldn't wear yoga pants. I was talking, to, I think it was to my wife the other day, I'm going, oh my goodness, did you just see that person? They walked in with, yoga pants on (laughs) they shouldn't wear those things that should be outlawed i'm not going to do that i don't want to do that to you i mean because that distracted me that was kind of like that turned my stomach a little bit now now i don't do that listen doesn't kind of gross you out a little bit i mean listen don't don't do that when you look in a mirror, I, and this person, they look in the mirror and said, I look good. No, no, you don't. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't. But we look in a mirror and we go, what's well, it got to do? This is what it's got to do. We look in a mirror because we, we don't hate our own self. We want to make sure that we present what we think the world wants to see. Now, I, I'm convinced that there are people that go out and things that they think that's what the world wants to see in order to be accepted. And that's how I felt about that girl that I saw yesterday, two days ago, Friday night. <laughs> of all places, going to Walmart. I mean, hello. <laughs> it was. We were going to Walmart. It was wild. <laughs> Surprise. Um, here's the thing. No one hates his own flesh, but he cherishes it just as the Lord. We are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become fl- one flesh. Here's the point. I'm going to finish with this. This is a great mystery, Paul says. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Paul just tied what what it is that I've been trying to do with you all day. And that is, listen, a marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. And it should always, when you see someone, when you see especially a Christian couple married, you should be able to look at them and go, That's a picture of Christ in the church. If you don't expect God to fool around on you, then don't fool around on the Lord. If if you expect God to be righteous and true to His word, be righteous and true to your word. And and here's the thing. There's there's place for slippage. There's place for sin. There's place for... and not, not that we do sin, but when we do sin, we have an advocate in Christ that we can run to and we can be reconciled to the Lord. Not because we can sin do we sin, but when we do sin, we can run to the Lord for forgiveness. That's what it's about. When I blow it with my wife, she doesn't want to just dis- divorce me. What it is is that I don't want to do something that hurts her. I don't want, she doesn't want to do something that hurts me. But we do it. And the problem is, is that when we do do it, not the problem, but the, 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 the glorious thing about this is, is when we do do that, there comes a point where one of us will come back to each other and go, hey, you know what, that wasn't my best. And I blew it. 
And I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Now, is she going to go, no, I'm not going to forgive you. No, my wife won't do that. She has much too kind of a heart to do that. And I'm not going to look at my wife who comes to me with repentance and say, hey, I I blew it. Will you forgive me? Of course I forgive you. Why? Because it's love. That's a relationship. But it's not continuing in sin. And, And that's what Paul says. This is a mystery. Know this, when you walk out of here today, if you're a Christian, and I, 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 I'm going to pray, you're a Christian, know this, you're married to Jesus. He's given you the parameters of marriage right here in this book. He's calling us to fidelity with him. He's calling us to purity before him. He's calling us to have a, a relationship with him. If you choose to have a relationship with the world He's not going to to make you have a relationship with him. You imagine, you know, you're getting married to someone and your ex-girlfriend shows up at your marriage. You go, no, you're supposed to be married to me. Marry me. You have to be married to me. Just like God isn't going to come to you and go, you're supposed to be married to me. Come on, please, please. No, he's not going to do that. He's going to let you marry whoever you want. The point is, is he's madly in love with you. He loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. And when you get into a relationship with Christ, you can be sure he will be pure in that relationship with you. And he just desires that, what, that back to, to him. And it's a way that we live our life from that day forward. We become a picture of Christ in the church. We become the bride of Christ. Let's be loyal to the Lord. Let's be faithful to the Lord. If you're married and a Christian, that's a double awesome thing. I get to have a marriage with my wife and it's got to get a, it, it gets to be a picture of what Christ in the church actually is. It's a great picture. So I, 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 I hope that you understand here today that life is not about you. It's about Christ. It's about his rule book, not our rule book. What does his rule book say? What does his guideline say? If you don't know this, you don't know how to live for him. And I would highly encourage you to get into this thing. It's called his love letter. It's called his Bible. His, his 66 love letters to you that you understand how much he loves you. How much he wants to give you life. It's not a rule book of do's and don'ts. It's a rule book of freedom, man. It's a rule book of showing you how to really experience true living. But if you deny it, you're on your own, man. God's not going to force you. But I, as a pastor, and know most of you guys very, very well, I beg you and I plead with you, know what the Word of God says. I want to see you in heaven with me. I want to be in heaven with you. Don't let another day go by where you're apart from God and His will. Amen. Thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.